Welcome to the first episode of Questions and Answers about the Bible and Theology. In this episode, I will answer the questions, what is a deacon and what does a deacon do? Baptist churches have long recognized two offices in the church, the office of elder, also referred to as pastor or overseer, and the office of deacon. These are two complementary yet distinct offices. The word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, and our word deacon is not really a translation of the Greek word diakonos. Instead, it's a transliteration. There are equivalent English letters that transport the sound of the Greek word into English. So when the word diakonos is translated, it's often rendered as servant or helper. A diakonos, then, can be used either in a general sense, describing one who helps or serves, or it can be used as an official title, descriptive of the church office. It is the context in which the word is used that determines whether the title is in view or whether the general use of the term is in view. In English, we sometimes use the same word in a general way and then in a more specific way to indicate a title or a profession. For instance, we might say that someone is a good teacher. In that context, it's unclear whether we are saying that someone is a vocational teacher or if they are just good at explaining and instructing. In another context, we might say Jane is a math teacher. Here, the context shows us that the word teacher is not being used in a general sense, but is being used in a technical sense. This is the same for the word diakonos in Greek. This word appears 29 times in the New Testament, yet there are only four occasions in which it's used as a technical term referring to the office of a deacon, or to translate it into English, the office of a servant. Even here, one occurrence is unclear whether the term is being used generally or technically. What is clear, though, from the term itself is that the office of deacon is primarily an office of service. So when we ask the question, what is a deacon, we respond with the answer, a servant of the assembly. The second question, what does a deacon do? This question is asking what the role of a deacon is more specifically, more specifically than serving. Generally speaking, a deacon serves the church, but to answer the question, we need to consider the four occurrences of the term in the New Testament, as well as one additional text. As I mentioned, there are four occurrences, with one of the occurrences being debated. The questionable occurrence is in Romans 16.1. The other three occurrences are found in Philippians 1.1, and then 1 Timothy 3 verse 8 and verse 12. In Romans 16.1, Paul is closing his letter to the church at Rome, and he writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Sancria. Now, English translations of the New Testament deal with the word rendered in the Christian Standard Bible as servant in different ways. 
For instance, the New International Version renders the phrase our sister Phoebe a deacon of the church. Although the Christian Standard Bible renders the word servant here, it does have a footnote that says, others interpret this term in a technical sense, deacon or deaconess or minister or courier. This occurrence raises the larger question of who can be a deacon. Are both men and women qualified to fill this office or is it restricted to men? I'll address this question in a later episode in order to give it more careful consideration. But as we look at Romans 16.1, whether this occurrence of the term is understood as a technical usage or not, the idea of service is in view, and in Phoebe's case, especially benevolence and financial service. In Paul's opening to the letter at the ch- for the church at Philippi, he writes to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. Here, nothing specific about the role of deacon is prescribed. After addressing the assembly at large, Paul clarifies that his message is intended to be received by those holding these two offices of the church as well. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul provides a list of moral qualifications that must be met for an individual to be considered for service as a deacon within the church. However, in these verses, Paul is focusing less on the role of the deacon and more on the qualification to be considered to hold that office. Still, an indication of the role of a deacon is present in 1 Timothy 3.13, where Paul writes, For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Once again, The emphasis is on serving the assembly as an act of service to Christ and his people. Although the term for deacon does not appear in Acts 6, our fourth text for consideration, this text is often appealed to as representative of the seed form of the office of a deacon. In the first six verses, the apostles were called upon to adjudicate between Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews because the wives of the Hellenistic Jews were being overlooked in the distribution of bread in this hospitality ministry. However, the apostles recognized that they needed to dedicate their time to preaching the word and to prayer. So they proposed that men would be chosen to find a solution to this problem and to organize a support system that would really solve the problem in an ongoing way. So in this text, there are three representative groups. There are the apostles, and then there are the believers subdivided between the Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews, and then there's this group of the seven men who were chosen to serve. Now, the points of difference between the three representative groups described in Philippians 1, 1 is that the apostles rather than the overseers are present, and the seven in Acts 6 are not labeled as deacons. So instead of filling an office, they're meeting a particular need. Furthermore, it's unclear that this group of seven men continued on functioning as a group. Perhaps once the system was in place and the solution had been achieved, the group dispersed. In that case, they would have been more like a committee than anything else. 
Regardless, there's an early distinction between those whose primary concern is the ministry of the word and prayer and those whose primary concern is serving the assembly in such a way that those tasked with the ministry of the word can focus exclusively on that tax. In Acts 6, the two groups respectively are the apostles and the seven men. In the development of the church, the two groups respectively are the elders or overseers or pastors and the deacons. The elders primarily focus on shepherding, leading, and feeding the assembly. And the deacons primarily focus on the needs of the assembly that would unnecessarily keep the elders from fulfilling their responsibilities. In many churches, where there's only one pastor, the deacons serve almost as if they were elders, almost as if they were assistant pastors or something like that. In those cases, it would probably be better for those deacons who would qualify as elders to be recognized as such to maintain the distinction between the two offices that we find in the New Testament. And when that distinction is made, both the elders and the deacons are able to fulfill their calling more effectively. Because the New Testament does not provide specific instructions outlining the tasks of the deacon, but instead prescribes service generally, churches have great freedom in outlining the specific nature of the deacon's responsibility and the structure of that group. Ultimately, the structure of the deacon's service should be organized in a way that supports the elder's ability to shepherd the flock and that sufficiently meets the needs of the assembly as a whole and of the needs of the individuals within the assembly, especially the more vulnerable, such as the widows or the elderly or the impoverished. In fact, this is why the deacons oversee the hospitality fund, sometimes referred to as a deacon's fund, so that they have the resources to minister to these groups and others effectively. Now, as the dynamics of church size, membership, location, and ministry endeavors shift over time, it's likely that the exact responsibility of the deacons will shift over time as well. Furthermore, as the number of appointed deacons grows or shrinks, individual deacons will take on different tasks and responsibilities so that the office can perform its function of service. As such, when churches outline the roles and responsibilities of deacons in a formal document like the church constitution, it's best to be more general than specific so that we can facilitate the dynamic circumstances of a church and the unpredictable needs that arise within the assembly. So for the sake of simplicity, it's probably easiest to refer to this special servant office of the church as the office of a deacon, and to refer to those appointed to it as deacons. However, it may be more helpful in our conversation to refer to this office as the office of a lead servant, and to those who serve in this role as servants of the church, or lead servants of the church. So, what is a deacon? A deacon is a servant of the church. 
if you're interested in learning more about deacons, I recommend Benjamin Merkel's book, 40 Questions About Elders and Deacons. In the next episode, I'll address questions about the qualifications of a deacon and how an individual is appointed to the office of a deacon. I look forward to talking about these questions next time on questions and answers about the Bible and theology.